0: hi this is jordan shively hi this is brock wilbur and you're listening to carrying into the void the podcast where we both get together tell each other about a weird or dark story that we've heard and then we try to find the silver lining or flip it into something that while probably not positive will at least be productive how are you doing today brock i'm doing fantastic how are you bud Good. I'm excited that we're starting to record season two again. So it feels good to get on here and tell each other some stories and see what we can find inside of them.
1: We do promise that we're trying to do a a regular weekly schedule, uh, and it is perhaps my fault that these went up too early. Uh, So, yes, restarting season two yet again. Here we are doing the show. Thank you guys for uh, accommodating our uh, random release patterns.
0: I mean, I think it fits in with, like, our promises of not doing much research either yeah (laughs) we're just gonna tell you about a story when we see you you know it might be every week it might be when we see you (laughs) we
1: we do have the internal uh policy of hey if it's gonna impact our mental health negatively we just don't do it that week and i think that uh if there was ever a show that allows for that um as my wife has pointed out before like Oh, because of your mental health this week, you guys can't record your mental health podcast like that sounds on brand.
0: <laughs> I feel like it's it's like us like taking our own advice a little bit for, for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I this week I am going to talk a uh, finish up Wendigos, which we did last time. Yes. and this is going to be part part two of Wendigos and it has a trigger warning for assault and violence.
1: Oh, I would I would like to take this opportunity to uh, acknowledge that we are going to do better about putting trigger warnings in the show notes On the last episode. Mine, Jordan, said to me, and you can hear it in the episode, Jordan said, hey, there should maybe be a trigger warning for that. And I laughed thinking it was sort of a joke. And then uh, one of our listeners who is a a big fan of the show, like grabbed me in DMs and was like, I didn't want to do this on timeline or call you out. But like. I would have really appreciated the trigger warning there. And my thing from last time, my first lines I say about it are like when this article was sent to me by my my wife, I was physically ill reading it. I was like, okay, so like I should listen to that and, uh, and be a little better about recognizing like if I felt physically ill, other people will, and maybe start uh, doing that. So to that listener, I am sorry that that happened last time and we've updated the show notes on that. We're going to do better. And that's, that's on me because I write show notes. So Thank you to Jordan for being on top of this. And I promise I will get better at it too.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you thought I was joking.
1: <laughs> I, I, I laughed. And then when I listened, I was like, oh, I did think he was joking. And now I'm like, no, he was serious. <laughs> that was very serious. And he, I was
0: very wrong. So here we are. <laughs> oh, here we are moving forward. So last week we talked about the Wendigo as almost a spiritual force in nature that sought to sow chaos and corruption By whatever means it could, both human and inhuman. But for every virus like that, because to me it sounded like this virus that was trying to corrupt anything it could, there is an antivirus. And that's what I want to tell you about today. The story starts with a member of the Cree Nation named Jack Fiddler, who lived around the 1830s. There was a lot of back and forth in the research I read about. 1830, 1840, 1850, when he was born. Let's just go with 1830 and split the difference. Jack was the son of the Sandy Lake People's shaman, and when his father died in 1891, he took on that mantle. As a shaman, he was both a cultural and spiritual leader, and he was seen to have the responsibility of being a bulwark, both against the supernatural and the more insidious darkness of the ever-encroaching Western civilization. Most importantly for this story, though, was the fact that another of Jack Fiddler's responsibilities was hunting down and killing Wendigos. (laughs) And he was reported to have killed 14 of them over the span of his career. So right away, it's like, let's see this movie, please. Jack wasn't just hunting, though, the tall, gaunt, antler-headed creatures that we've seen so many times in pop culture. To a shaman of the Cree people, the evil of the Windigo was much more of a creeping, insidious nature, and it, co- it could and would use people as its pawns, filling them with an insatiable hunger for human flesh and destruction. And to the mind of these protectors of the people, these infected had to be destroyed, just as they would any other attacking monster." And they were often burned in an attempt to keep the Wendigo spirit from leaving the now dead host and hopping into a new victim. This wasn't seen as an outlier or fringe behavior, though. It wasn't like, oh, we got to watch out for the shaman. This was a (laughs) dear and cherished service that the shaman was providing for their community. And everyone was raised with the knowledge that this is a vital thing that happens in our community. And this is how we keep out this active evil that is seeking to destroy us. This is our wall against this evil. But then, like we've seen so many times, the encroachment of Western civilization ran full tilt into a collision with this time-honored tradition. In 1905, Jack's brother, Joseph's daughter-in-law, was brought in with what was seen to be a possession with her being racked with pain and becoming so violent that it took several people just to hold her down. Jack Fiddler and Joseph were called in, and they immediately knew what was the problem and what had to be done. A wendigo spirit was trying to take control of the girl, so they did what to their minds needed to be done for the good of the community. They put a thin rope around her neck, and little by little they tightened it. In their minds, they had done what was in line with the role assigned to them by their community, but there's no getting out of it that they had killed someone and that they had been killing people who were Wendigos. And the local law saw it just that way and assigned to them their own roles, that of convicted murderers. And just like that, the last Wendigo hunters of the Cree people were gone the encroaching darkness that they had so long fought had found a new form and it reached out and enveloped them. The roles and responsibilities that had long been held in this struggle were left to lie empty and open to whatever wanted to do what it would in those dark, cold nights. And that was the end of the official Wendigo hunters. They were both in jail and in Jack, in an escape attempt, got out when he was being transferred, but then he just ran into the forest and hung himself with a sash that was around his waist and his brother died in jail. Did he hang himself or did the Wendigo spirit uh, hang him? Uh, Or you might say he continued to perform his duty, even when he saw maybe himself becoming overtaken by some sort of corruption. But who knows? And then I wasn't going to include this, but in my reading, there was one last note. that I think it was like in 2008, there was a bus going by that way. And one of the passengers attacked another passenger and decapitated him and began to eat him right in that area. What? Yeah. So who knows what had been sitting there waiting in that forest on the side of that roadway. I
1: 100% seriously, I want to see... I want to see a movie about their trial that's like a courtroom film about two people that are like, yes, we're Wendigo hunters and that's why we killed this guy and like having to defend that. Uh, that
0: seems and then all the jurors start one by one singing like time is on my side. Deep cut. Yes, it is Deep now. cut. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fascinating though, the idea that there's these people who know that there is this unstoppable force that wants to corrupt everything and they spend their lives doing what the little they can to plug the gaps until society itself, who some would argue is being influenced by the Wendigo on a a grand scale of corruption and deforestation and the destruction of people's lifestyles and ways of life, steps in and delivers the knockout punch to these defenders. So I thought it's a fascinating thing to think about. Right. Um, so the carrying into the void moment for today's story is thus. The things you know you have been born to do will not always be understood. There will be those who think themselves the arbiters of the role you should lead, the path you should walk, the form and identity that you should take. But you have listened to the voices in the dark. You have walked the lonely path that only your feet can find and you and only you have been to the places that have made you the thing. You are the thing you are becoming and that thing, that role, that self, it has a purpose. You just need to grasp onto it, dig your teeth deep into the thrashing body of that purpose and pull it close. It is then when you have drunk deep of that becoming that all the censure and attempted rulings on the form you are, the path you walk, the you that you have become and are still becoming will become meaningless. Because once you truly have it, once you've swallowed it down and let it take root in every deep, dark place within you, nothing they say or do will change the truth. The truth of you. The end.
1: I'm so glad you did a second part on that. That one's so... Yes, those are two separate versions of this story, and my God. I know, uh, and I
0: was reading all these different things about Wendigos, and I was like, holy fuck, there's Wendigo hunters.
1: (laughs) Again, I just always thought that they were Bigfoots for a different area, and like that is not what this is, and that's so Oh, not at all.
0: Wendigos are more like this, as we've seen in two episodes, this dark intelligence that is seeping to corrupt everything it can. And corrupting the human form is just one of the ways that it does that. I like that it's
1: it's societal as well. It's like the best version of that I've ever seen is in uh, Stephen King's uh, It, <laughs> uh, where like you understand that like Pennywise, the reason that these kids have to deal with this stuff is that Pennywise the clown is actively corrupting everyone in that city, which is why they become so evil and terrible. And like the the book opens with like the killing of of a homosexual man by the people in the town. And it's like, yeah, the, everyone here is just awful. And that's why all the parents are so unhelpful and terrible. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's it's uh, a monster, but that monster also makes everyone in the area worse. And like, that's why you need heroes. So this is awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Wendigo spirit could be seen in the antagonists of so many other types of stories as well. You know, like even within King, like needful things. Right. The, per- the thing that comes to town and starts tempting people to their corruption or stories of old scratch the devil or, or bargaining devils at the crossroads. You know, anything that is there waiting to get you into a downfall of your own demise. Capitalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So what do you have to talk about today? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's socialist to want to fight the Wendigo. Uh, let's That's the role That's the role playing game I want to fight Socialist Wendigo Fighters. Uh,
1: let's make it. Please let's make it. Um cool. Uh, so uh mine this week is called a Byzantine basement. Uh, in 1963 a Turkish homeowner uh, was like I'm going to do some repairs around the house. Gonna fix some things up. Uh, and he couldn't afford to hire a professional contractor. So he just went out and got a goddamn sledgehammer. I was like, I'm going to take down this wall in my bathroom. I'm going to expand this area. It's going to be fine. And he took it down and like behind the wall was like layer after layer of things that shouldn't have been there. And he just kept sort of breaking through. And was like, I, I should just be hitting like rock, but I'm not, I'm hitting all these other things. Uh, and when he got through it, there was just a hole in his wall that went somewhere that was dark. Uh, and he was like, well, I'll do what every normal person does in a horror film. Uh, and just hopped in the hole, you know, just hop on down, see what's in that dark. Oh, you should always hop into the hole. Absolutely. Silent Hill 4 is great. Everyone play it. Uh, so uh, he gets in there and he finds what's basically a cave. And he's like, wow, this is a crazy cave. Weird that this cave exists. And uh, just kept walking. And the cave was bigger, but like at the end of the cave, there were more holes and he just kept a hole hopping. Uh, And uh, it turned out that underneath his house was an entire ancient city that was built in the Byzantine Empire, 18 stories tall, down into the depths of the world, a gigantic, like ancient, like, nearly as big as the city that that he was over living over it with like it's the photos of this are insane and I'm doing a better job on this show of recognizing when I'm uh, my sources uh, this is from uh, the website history 101 I've I've made sure it exists elsewhere because one time on the show we did almost I did almost write about something
0: that like clearly wasn't real Uh, I think I think writing about something that's not real fits in great it does it does
1: (laughs) But this one was also about racism, so I was like, you know what, let's not mm, do that one. No, no. Uh, so there's incredible photos of this, and and basically what it turns out is that there was this city that was uh, uh, 2,500 years ago. It was sort of stuck amid two different countries that were always going to war, and they were always getting slaughtered. Uh, so what they did is they just went underground. They built this city underground because they were mostly a farming community, and they're like, we're never going to survive this nonsense uh, so they built an 18 layer city with hundreds of entrances. And the best part of this for me is that like they hid them so well out in the world that most of them are just still sitting there, but it was this guy fixing up his bathroom that found one, uh, which also like somebody else had to have built his house at some point. I was just like, I don't know. Let's just put the bathroom facing that weird cave. No one will ever ask about the cave. Let's just be cool with this. Uh, And so uh, it's a city that had uh, they had farm animals that lived down there uh, and uh, they would take them out to graze through one of these hundreds of things and they would bury their people down there with them. Uh, And uh, they figured out how to live in darkness in a way that, like, I always thought was a problem I had with the movie The Descent. I was like, nope. apparently, you know, you just do it. You don't need the vitamin D pills. Uh, I'm sure they got very pale after several generations of this. Uh but uh, yeah sometimes you can just uh want to have a little more room in the commode and uh, then you discover an ancient Byzantine city. Uh
0: so uh so what you're saying is if Starship was writing a song back then they would have written we built this city on this city. It's so
1: weird that you don't have kids but you are a dad.
0: It's really important to me. <laughs> <laughs> so did they who owned this city then afterwards? Like was there any like who who owns this new fabled land? I think the Turkish government has has possessed it at this point. But like he wasn't like um, the doors in my toilet. I own this
1: now. Look, capitalism. But uh, I, I would I I do imagine that he must have spent a couple of days on that. Like I could build my own amusement park, and
0: no one would ever know. <laughs> like what, what? one of my he favorite just opens stories? Up the shadiest like where storage units ever. <laughs> You got to take your shit in through my shit.
1: When I lived in L.A. was a guy who's like an Elon Musk level rich ass uh, built uh, hired contractors to build a series of sex tunnels underneath his house. uh, And he hired them to do it.
0: Oh, the the usual.
1: Yeah, uh, with uh, not only rooms for weird sex stuff, but also rooms for like a secret helicopter helipad. So he could escape if somebody ever came
0: like underground. If the sex goes wrong. (laughs) You like wants to walk a shame in style.
1: How bad do you have to be at sex to helicopter away?
0: Oh no, it was
1: definitely for bringing people in and taking them out. That makes so much more sense uh, because <laughs> he hired so he hired these people to do it, and he gave them two weeks to do it. And there was no he never got per- permission from the city or anything. So he gave them all two weeks. He gave them two weeks because that's how long his honeymoon was, and he didn't want his <laughs> wife to find out. <laughs> Uh, and the only reason that this ever saw light of day was that uh, like, people, <laughs> somebody like died uh, and they even managed to work past that. Like know. that never would have brought it out. But then after they finished a lot of this stuff, he stiffed him on the bill. And so they went to court. And like that is it, it feels comparable to this is like, you know, you could have a giant secret underground kingdom. But like you got to hire people that keep that maintained for you or else like it's just not going to pad out. And also I just. This story came back up this week because the uh, Cohen uh, was talking uh, to Congress and I was just like, my favorite crime of all crimes is is when somebody does crime and hires somebody else to like do that crime and then doesn't pay them enough. I'm just like, it seems so simple. Don't hire people for crime if you don't have crime money. I don't understand why this is such a hard, hard thing.
0: How do you and how do you think that someone who is willing to do a crime for money is just going to be cool about it? Not getting paid. (laughs) <laughs> you, know, oh, yeah, you, you, yes. you know you're the secret crime tunnel makers uh that you, you, you're easy to push around <laughs> welcome to crime time uh
1: so this is uh my carrying into the void for this <laughs> uh does this spark joy you ask yourself while scanning your bedroom this bed it does not the walls they do not the floor does not remove them what lies beneath the bed never refilled you the walls never protected you beneath the floor is the gateway to a realm only dreamed of This was all built to hide greater truth, greater promise, a vast network of ideas and determination. What lives beneath you? What hides in your walls? What walls have you built just to keep that very potential at bay? Tear them down. Tear it all down. Then explore the caverns and the unknown darkness within. Find yourself, but also how deep you go. What waits for you in the unknown and how will it reveal your fullness? What physical defenses are built into your mere existence? How many are protected by your design? You spark joy. Celebrate your architecture.
0: Nice. Nice. <laughs> I love anything with architecture. Me too. <laughs> That's our new podcast, Spoops Architect. <laughs> Those brutalist boys, they love to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> brutalist boys. That's the name of the podcast. Brutalist <laughs> boys. <laughs>
1: I love to talk about uh, very visual things in a non-visual medium. Oh yeah! Like we're just like you guys should see this building.
0: So the building, it's um, it's square, and then there's some other squares on it. And it's like a mean-looking square. It's like cement, and um, it's flat. There's no <laughs> no decorations on it to describe. So flat box, <laughs> and then there's another flat box. On that flat <laughs> box, wait for it, flat box. Let's just do one episode of this show at random called Brutalist Boys. And <laughs> try to visually describe the plainest of Brutalist
1: architecture. We dare you to unsubscribe to this show.
0: <laughs> we would get so many comments from the, the architecture nerds of like, actually, don't sneal Brutalist because it was after the 60s. Oh, God. I can feel it in my bones. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I got quite a few of those when I made Brutalist on t shirts. You should, your shirt should say neo-brutalist. I'm like, that's not the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Historical accuracy of brutalism is not the point of a t-shirt that's like a metal font joke about brutalism.
1: (laughs) But also that would be a good follow-up
0: shirt. Neo-brutalism is not the point of this shirt. (laughs) Or just, I was going to do one that just said new brutal, like new metal. Oh my God. (laughs) So do you have any self care for us this week? Uh, Oh my God.
1: Don't uh, spiral. That's, that's about what I've got. Uh, I had a real big weirdo time and uh, didn't catch myself in a way that I normally do. And I got to the point that my wife was like, I am concerned. And I was like, well, then we have to take some steps back and I've got to figure some things out. And so it's been, uh, good to do that. But, um, I uh, I got myself into a place where I was afraid to pump the brakes uh, because too much had to be done, and uh, I had too many feelings about too many things. And always pump the brakes, always pump the brakes. That's my that's my forever advice. What about you?
0: Um, I also had been having a rough start to the year, and um, so I have been my self care that I've been trying to think about now is I need to start trying to give myself permission to fail at things without it meaning that I'm worthless. Which means, at least for me, that I have to kind of sit and look at the things I'm trying to do and then think about their failures and get my brain ready for them to fail so that they don't, when it does start happening or if it happens or not, I've already preconceived of that failure and readied myself for the possibility and started to do the repetition thing of like, this doesn't mean this, this doesn't mean this to ritualize that into becoming a moment for me that I'm ready for. Because I think a lot of times, at least for me, the things that send me spinning is when I feel like it's all of a sudden everything is on top of me. So if I'm pre-visualizing failure, but in a way that's not saying that it's going to happen, but that if it did happen, I'm looking at this thing I'm doing, this project and going, I'm going to do this. But if I don't, it's okay. So that's what I'm trying to do lately. That seems difficult because it feels like a. It feels like it's
1: good, but also it's it's like visualizing and focusing in like a a reverse version of the secret. On like I'm going to focus on the failure, but like
0: I mean, I think it kind of ties into the into the not so much as like defeatism, but uh into more kind of like a death energy kind of thing. You know, it's like Uh I'm gonna die. What am I waiting for? I can do the your the visualizing your own death gives you the possibility to do anything because you there's no use waiting so visualizing your failure gives you kind of the freedom to really attempt the thing because you're not paralyzed by the possibility of that failure the nebulous lurking possibility of that failure you've looked at it and you've been if that happens i'm okay with it so now i'm just gonna like go and try to do the thing without worrying about that failure. Cause if that failure happens, psh, whatever. Fair enough. And these are all, you know, like I'm, I don't succeed at this constantly. <laughs> these are the uh, self-care thing that I'm attempting to do.
1: I like that. I, I, I like that. There's like, I worried that your version of this was that you were being a, a, a tightrope walker. And now instead of never looking down, you were looking down the entire time, but maybe it's this midpoint of like, I do know what's beneath me because I have looked down now. Uh, so I'm still going to walk the tightrope. It's more like
0: sca- scanning the landscape ahead of you, like looking at the like the treacherous path you're about to walk, and going, "Yeah, if I fall in all these places, well, that's where I'll land, and I'll keep going from there." So then, when you go, you're like, you're not completely scared because each step isn't the unknown anymore. I like that. Good one. Um, Do you have any signal
1: boosts for this week? Um, There is a a one-shot RPG uh, based on uh, Carly Rae Jepsen that's available for free.
0: I saw that!
1: Uh,
0: Oh, my God.
1: I I can't imagine anything that is more on brand for both of us. Um, It is called uh, Boy Problems. Uh, It's designed by Colin Cummings. Uh, It is at boyproblems.myportfolio.com. Uh, So go, go get that. That seems fun.
0: I love that that exists. (laughs) Um, My signal boost for this week is going to be an organization called trans lifeline. Um, And from their mission statement, they wrote this as a trans led organization. We believe that trans people caring for each other is a beautiful and transformative act in service of this belief. Trans lifeline offers both emotional and financial support to the trans community. And their website is TransLifeline.org. And if you would like to go and donate or help support them, even if it's just you then signal boosting them again on your own social medias, they're an organization that's doing some good stuff for people who um, are often marginalized.
1: I love to recommend a dumb, dumb idiot thing. And then you're like, hey, what about humanity and saving lives? It's good that we're always uh, promoting the same scale of thing." <laughs> next time you go
0: first. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I like did last week. I did like a, a spoopy podcast recommendation.
1: But I promoted you on that one. So like it scaled in the right way. <laughs> you're like, hey, you know what? Everyone should give blood. And I'm like, there's this Netflix show. Uh, so
0: I, maybe I just have to be a better person damn it <laughs> on Netflix like I somehow from growing up in Mexico and everything didn't know like Netflix is always recommending you things and they recommended me the L word and I didn't know what that show was and I started watching it and I'm like this and I, didn't, I didn't know that it had been a cultural phenomenon in its time <laughs> that, that, oh, but. That, that's a that's a path to take not knowing what's coming Watching me outward.
1: I didn't know that you had uh, that level of cultural gap. What ages were you in Mexico?
0: I was in Mexico from age eight to 19.
1: Oh, crap. I thought you were there for like a year or two at some point. I didn't know that it was all the
0: formative years. No, no, I was there for basically the majority of my formative life. Okay. Welcome to the L word. And I I was in like Southern Mexico in villages without like running water and electricity. So it wasn't like I was watching cable in Mexico.
1: Well, I I think you you already highlighted that it's a show full of people that are real good at relationships. So you're you're going to get some stuff out of that. Oh, my God.
0: Yes. I'm sitting there like, oh, man, I hope all my lesbian daughters get their shit together. And I'm like. (laughs) And I've a where I've always annoyed when there's too much sex scenes in a show in comparison to the to the content. Uh-huh. And so like I, everyone's like, "Oh, it's so titillating." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't fast forward through those parts so I can get to the sea if their coffee shop's going to make it."
1: <laughs> my good Christian boy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, don't you fucking
0: say that. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for this week. And we will see you on our next episode whenever that might be. And if you <laughs> have a moment, feel free to go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating, because that helps us not be lost amongst the abyss of Apple products. <laughs> um, and until next week, remember, keep your teeth sharp and mini and your heart's dark and true. And we'll see ya.
1: Thank you for listening. Bye.